If you would this morning, let's go back to the book of Jude. Just go to the last book of Revelation and take a left. Book of Jude. And I don't want to speak too soon, but it looks like I may make it through the book of Jude in only four sermons. So 25 verses and four sermons, and I guess somebody's been praying really hard and God answers your prayers, but um, I'll tell you, the book of Jude is a, is a very short book, but it's a very serious and to-the-point book. And we've seen that Jude was writing to these Jewish converts. They had uh, been saved, they had been converted to Christianity, but understand there's still a very Jewish mindset there. And you can, you can see this, you know, Jude doesn't specifically address his audience but he makes so many Jewish references to the Old Testament and Jewish tradition, it wouldn't have made any sense to do that unless he's trying to convince a Jewish mind. And we've already seen that uh, Jude is clearly addressing a major problem that took place even in the early church, and that is that false teachers had come into the church unnoticed, unaware. And Jude is calling these Christian brothers and sisters to contend for the faith, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Not, not later on, not two or three times, not by this person's vision or this person's interpretation, but once delivered to the saints. And the charge, we looked at this last, last week, I preached on getting grace wrong. Jude charged these false teachers with turning the grace of God into lasciviousness uh, which means loose living. In other words, uh, grace is a license to sin. You can do whatever you want to do because of the grace of God. And I really tried to strike a balance there. On one side, the cults usually teach a grace with only accountability and no acceptability. In other words, their whole life is trying to earn the favor of God, trying to earn salvation or do things that will somehow counterbalance your sin or the bad things that you do. In other words, grace in that situation is nothing but an opportunity uh, to live in such a way where God gives you His grace. It's, it's nothing but an opportunity. And you can't please God like that. We've broken the law of God. There's no good works that can erase broken laws. Good works cannot erase your sin. Uh, but on the other hand, there is a grace that teaches acceptability and no accountability. That's what the problem was with these teachers in the book of Jude. Uh, you're only acceptable to God. You're just so good and wonderful and every thought you think is virtuous and God just looks down and says, man, they're just so awesome. I think I'll give them my grace. And I'll be so gracious that they'll never be accountable for anything that they do. That is turning the grace of God into lascivious, turning the grace of God into a license to sin. And that, it totally ignores the just and holy character of God and it, it ignores the wrath of God against sin. That is not the God of the Bible. And so Jude charges them with getting grace wrong. And then he gives examples of people that have gotten that wrong in the past and thought that God was not a God of justice. Uh, he specifically mentioned uh, the apostate Jews. And by the word apostasy simply means when somebody departs from truth. They turn their back. They walk away from truth. That's a slippery slope, by the way. Uh, there's, no, there's no bottom to that. 
But he, he mentioned the apostate Jews that God had freed from Egyptian slavery. And when they got in the wilderness, it's like they got to thinking, well, maybe, maybe God will just let us do what we want to do. When, when Moses went to the mountain to get the, the law of God, uh, they had melted down their gold. They made a calf to worship it and uh, called it the God of Israel that delivered them out of bondage. And then he also mentioned as an example... Uh, the apostate angels that left their first estate that rebelled against God. Uh, he also referenced the apostate Gentiles in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that had totally given themselves over to sexual debauchery and all kind of lewd living. And what did God do in all those cases? He judged the Jews in the wilderness. He struck 3,000 of them dead instantly and wouldn't let any of them but 20 and younger get into the promised land. He cast the angels out of heaven, um, and certain ones he has reserved in change of darkness until the judgment day. He judged Sodom and Gomorrah by raining down fire and brimstone. And Jude's point was, given the track record of what God does to people that teaches this kind of nonsense, do you think it's a good idea to let them come to church and teach these things? The answer would be no. It's a very serious charge. Uh, I don't want to be in that number right there. But then in our text today, uh, where we're going to be, he goes into even more detail describing the character and the personality and the methods of these false teachers so we get a better idea about who he's talking about. So let's look at these verses today. Let's read the Word of God together beginning in verse 8 and we'll go through verse 16. It says, Likewise, or in the same way as these examples that we just mentioned, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward." and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this beautiful day. God, I just pray that you would empty me of sin and self. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Uh, God, I pray that you would bless those that are uh, watching and listening on the live stream, perhaps those that are sick and couldn't be here. Uh, Lord, and perhaps those that we've never even met, God, that you would speak to their heart. Lord, find us where we are today and show us where we need to be. I pray if there's somebody that's lost, that you would save them from their sin today, God, that they would call on Jesus Christ in repentance and faith to save them. Uh, Lord, I pray that 
Uh, we would just be shining lights in this dark hour, Lord, that we would be salt and light, uh, Lord, to a lost and dying world. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and just give me the words to say, God, and I'll thank you and praise you for it. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> this morning I want to preach on the thought of the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age. Now, what we just read about these false teachers was probably mostly the exception in Jude's day and not the rule. But today, what we just read, this is the rule for the church in America today. And I would say even on a worldwide scale. I'm sure, I'm sure it's better and worse in certain places, but what I'm reading is exactly what is taking place today. It is the spirit of the age. And so that's what I want to preach on this morning, the spirit of the age, we better take heed. And we have here some very clear characteristics, not only of the spirit of these false teachers, but the spirit of our age today. So what, what are the characteristics of the spirit of the age that we live in? Well, number one, and if there was ever a hallmark characteristic of what we're seeing in our day, above all else, without a question, the number one characteristic of the spirit of our age is a problem with authority. And I'll put in parentheses problem with God's authority. Uh, Look at verse 8 and 9. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now this phrase here, filthy dreamers, to me... This is probably the phrase on which the whole letter of Jude hinges upon, that phrase, filthy dreamers. Now, what that means, that's, that's not necessarily just talking about uh, lustful thoughts or lustful fantasies. I'm, that's definitely a part of it. But the deeper meaning here is false visions. That's really what it means. That's where they get their authority from, is false visions. And it really is a statement of authority. Uh, It's where they get these teachings from, these false visions, and uh, that's where they get their authority from. It's their feelings, their visions, their dreams. And I find it interesting, uh, I mentioned the Gnostics to you and how during this time the Gnostics were a real problem in the church, and the Gnostics believed that, you know, they could get uh, their own revelation straight from God. They didn't need the Word of God because God would speak to them directly in this secret hidden knowledge. And that's a, this is another reason I believe that Jude, even though he doesn't mention the Gnostics, I believe this is who he was dealing with because this is where they got uh, their authority from. And I find this very interesting. The only other time in the Bible this word dreamers is used is in Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 9, and it's, the word is connected with false prophets and witches. Not something I want in my pulpit. But Jeremiah says to uh, Judah, which by the way, they had turned their back on God. They had adopted, uh, adopted the pagan gods of their neighbors. And here's what he said to them. Therefore hearken not to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. In other words, Jeremiah uh, was prophesying judgment to them. By, listen, by the time Jeremiah gets on the scene, 
it, the message is not even repent and God will stay His anger. It's judgment's coming, ready or not. And But all these false prophets and these false dreamers and these witches and these uh, wizards and all of the enchanters and sorcerers, they were saying, you don't have to listen to Him. God is a loving God. You're, you're, you're not going to be bound. You're not going to be captured. Nebuchadnezzar's not going to do anything mean to you. What happened? Nebuchadnezzar came in there, stomped a mud hole in them, and took them off as slaves to Babylon. So guess who was right? It was God's prophet that was speaking God's message in the face of all these false prophets. And the message was the same. God is a God of love. He's not going to judge you. You can do whatever you want to do, and He's not going to judge you. Is that not what we're hearing today? Is that not the same thing that Jude is calling these false teachers out in the early church for? That's exactly the spirit of our age. That God is a God of love, and therefore He can't be a God of justice. But as I've said many times, you cannot have love without justice. And so we, we see this uh, when he, we call them filthy dreamers. He's accusing them of rejecting His revelation for their own false revelation. Uh, these filthy dreamers, they're rejecting the authority of God's Word in favor of their own feelings. And because of this, they despise dominion, which by the way, dominion has the idea of ownership. And God has the ultimate dominion because He has ownership over His entire universe. So, but they despise that. They don't want that. They don't like that. It says they speak evil of dignities. Now, dignities sometimes can speak of angels, but, but I think the central point with this word being used here in this context is it speaks of the servants and the messengers of God. A dignity was a messenger of the king. And so they speak evil of the servants of God. And it's important to point out that Jude gives a specific example of this in the spiritual realm. But he says um, in verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now this is important for you to know this. I'm not going to spend a a long time on this. But this, to my knowledge... This is the only time in Scripture, and he does it twice here, Jude does. We'll see the second one here in a minute. But he quotes books of what's known as the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha, they were never considered to be inspired Scripture. Uh, But they were considered to be important in a historical sense and also in Jewish tradition. And in fact, if you have, and I do, I've got one in my study, if you have a copy of an actual 1611 King James Bible, which ours that we use are 1769 revisions, but in the original 1611 King James, they had the Apocrypha books between the Old and New Testament. They were never, once again, they were never considered to be inspired Scripture, but they're good historical references. Uh, for example, in the, the book of the First and Second Maccabees, we find out about the Jewish revolt against the Seleucid Empire that ended up leading to a restoration of the temple, and it's where the Pharisees come from. That gives us a great historical background to enter into the New Testament with. But they were never considered to be inspired scriptures. So why why would you quote, and by the way, this book he's quoting in verse 9 is called The Assumption of Moses. That's where this story is found. You don't find that in the Old Testament. Well, the reason he did that is not because he thought it was inspired scripture, 
but because it was very well-known Jewish tradition and they would have identified with that. He's just using it as an illustration. It's just like last week. I quoted from a fiction novel written by C.S. Lewis. And if somebody were to hear me preach that or maybe read a transcript or whatever, uh, they need to understand I don't believe that the line, the witch in the wardrobe is inspired scripture, but it had a great illustration that we can understand and connect with. That's the same thing that Jude is doing right here. And the point he's making is, you better not speak evil of the things that you don't know anything about, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Uh, you know, you, you, and I, the example that I think of in our day, a good present parallel, is, uh, you know, he's saying that Michael the archangel, who's one of the chief servants of God, one of the most powerful of all created beings, that when him and Satan were disputing over the body of Moses, that uh, he didn't even bring an accusation against Satan. Now, if Michael the archangel wouldn't do it, who are we to do it? And the present parallel that I think of is, uh, you, you hear these people that rebuke the devil, you know, get thee behind me, Satan. You say, well, that's in the Bible. Yeah, Jesus said that, and we're not Jesus. Uh, I think about a man in the book of Acts that tried to copy the apostles and rebuke these devils. And the devil that was inside of the man, the many devils that were inside of the man said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And then that demon-possessed man beat him so bad, he, I mean, he literally knocked him neck, slapped him naked, and he ran away naked. Slapped him naked and hit his clothes, I guess. And, and we don't have that kind of power. You know, stomping the devil under our feet, you, you have fun with that. That's why he said, the Lord rebuke thee. Because we need to be careful of that kind of stuff. And, uh, but they speak evil of dignities. And as I said, the hallmark spirit of this age is that people want to cast off the restraints that God has put in place. I wish we could get that phrase just burned into our memory. I think about Psalm 2. It says, why do the heathen rage? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto, him, unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure." Everywhere you look, at every level of society, uh, at the government level, at the school level, in the family, and even in the church that claims to belong to Christ, we see this casting off of restraint. Uh, we see it in specific areas. Uh, I think about how people, they cast off the restraints of God as Creator. We see this in the teaching of evolution. We've seen that for a long time, but... Uh, in more recent years, we've seen it in this whole uh, gender and sexuality movement that we're seeing. Uh, I'm not going to get political on you, but I'm sure many of you saw this week in the, uh, the hearing of Judge Jackson to possibly be uh, the next Supreme Court justice. Uh, somebody asked her a very simple, direct question and said, can you give a definition of what a woman is? And her exact words were, no, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Boy, sin makes you stupid, doesn't it? I saw somebody put out an article, a satire article this week on the internet, 
And it had a picture of somebody standing out in the rain. It was a monsoon, and somebody asked them, is it raining? And they said, I don't know, I'm not a meteorologist, you know? <laughs> well, you say, why, why would somebody have a problem with the basic definition of a woman? Are they really that stupid? You know what it is? They're, I'm just going to say it like this. They're giving God the middle fingers what they're doing. They're not even acknowledging Him as Creator. Because even the basic admission that we have male and female, it is an admission that God has created them male and female. Which is exactly what the creation account says in Genesis 1.27. It's exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. From the beginning created He male and female. And even an admission of that fact is an acknowledgement of the Creator. And they hate Him so much they can't even bring themselves to say it. That's exactly what it is. Nobody's that dumb. Nobody's that dumb. My, my three-year-old, Laura, we had the TV on, and you've got to even watch kids' shows these days. Not even for the shows, but the commercials. They had a commercial that had two gays on the... You know, they use... They use homosexuality to sell everything today. And there was a man that walked through a living room dressed like a woman. My three-year-old said, he's not supposed to be dressed like a girl. She's got more sense than a lot of our politicians do. But you know what it is? It's the spirit of the age. It's where we're at. Uh, We see it even with this homosexual revolution. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there's a young man that literally just came out, posted a picture of him and his boyfriend. This boy was raised in church. Uh, We know his family. We knew his pastor. Uh, You know, and now he's come out and and, uh, he basically said, this is who I am. Celebrate me. And a lot of people did. But God's not. God's not. And I tell you, you you know the epitome of selfishness? Now listen. Homosexual is not the only sin out there, and all sin is selfish, and I don't want to pick on that one thing. But the reason that I've talked about it a lot in the, in the past several messages is because it is everywhere. It's what we're seeing today. And I would be remiss if I didn't call out the darkness of our day. And, but you want to know the epitome of selfishness. When, when I see somebody do that, that young man is breaking God's heart. He's breaking his family's heart. He's breaking his former church family's heart. And then he pretends that he's Christian and that God is smiling upon all this. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I know this is breaking everybody's heart. Deep down, he knows it's wicked. He knows it's not right. But his feelings are more important than everybody else. And you're required to celebrate his feelings. <laughs> I'm not going to. That's where we're at, though. And you're, you're just a hater. You're just a homophobe for saying these type of things. Uh, No, I love them enough to tell them the truth. God is going to judge it. Um, I love them enough just to tell them the truth. There's no hate in my heart against them at all. Um, They're not that stupid. They just hate God. They're trying to cast off the restraints of His role as Creator. They're trying to cast off the restraints of God as ruler of His universe. We see this in the rejection of God's Word, both in the public square and even in the church. We see this in a removal of any reference to God at all. You know, statues of the Ten Commandments or, 
you know, we got rid of prayer a long time ago in school. And, uh, you know, no references to Jesus, can't pray in Jesus' name. Uh, you know, we remove any references to God in the public square. But it's not because we just simply, you know, don't believe in God and we're just trying to give everybody a fair hearing, a fair shake. They hate God. Uh, I re- I'll never forget, I was about 17 years old, and we had a big controversy in my home state of Alabama where um, they had a big monument of the Ten Commandments right outside the Alabama courthouse the, there in Montgomery. And this federal judge, this unelected federal judge, uh, Myron Thompson, uh, decided that it was just better if we just got a crane and overnight removed that thing. And there was thousands of people that showed up to protest that, and I got to go. And I found out there was a man by the last name of Darby, and he was the president of the Alabama Association of Atheists. And he came out there to kind of counter-protest, and I found out that guy later on, <clears throat> I found out that guy, the, the, the monument never got put back up. But a private Christian organization bought it, and they actually took that huge monument all over the country, different cities, to promote religious freedom and our uh, heritage as Americans and all the things that we enjoy. And I found out that Darby guy, he followed that monument everywhere it went, every single city that that monument went to, to counter-protest. Friend, you cannot hate something that you don't believe in. If they had been promoting Smurfs, that we came from Smurfs, that came from outer space, he wouldn't have been going to every single city, but, but he would to shake his fist at the God of heaven. There's no such thing as an atheist. Atheists say they don't believe in God. God doesn't believe in atheists. You can't hate something you don't believe in. They're, they're trying to cast off the restraints. And let me say this before I move on, just as a way of application. We had better surrender ourselves to the authority that God's given us, His revealed Word, because there's no way, and I, I want you to get this, there is no way to remain neutral in this spiritual warfare. There's no way. You can't do it. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be a nonconformist, because here's what happens. It's a dangerous thing to reject truth. Because if you reject truth, then and you turn your back on truth, the only place you have left to turn is darkness. And when you turn your back on the truth and the light, all you have is lies. That's it. That's why, listen, I've seen people raised in church under good preaching that turn their back on God. They're some of the most hearted, hearted, stiff-necked people I've ever met. I mean, they make some of the lost folks look like saints. They're hard. Why is that? It's because they rejected the truth they were given. There's more hope for the drug addict in an alley than there is for them. There's more hope for a drunk on a bar stool than there is for them. Because they've rejected the revelation that God has given them and they're going to be accountable for that. You try to talk to them about the Lord now and the gospel, there's a force field. They're so hardened, God very likely may have given them over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is one that is completely hardened to the truth. Um, I, I believe we see this clearly um, in these teachers that we're looking at. We're going to look at that in my, my next point, but it's very dangerous to reject God's revealed truth because the spirit of the age will get you. 
Listen, you're either going to live in submission to the Holy Spirit or you're going to live as a slave to the spirit of this age, the spirit of Antichrist. There's no middle ground with that. Corruption is sometimes a slow process, but it'll win in the end. The second thing I want you to know about the spirit of this age and the teachers thereof, uh, not only do they have a problem with authority, but they're a prisoner of their own lust. Look at verse 10. But these speak evil of those, uh, those things which they know not, but what they know naturally, as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Uh, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. And so Jude said that these teachers, uh, they spoke evil things of, of the about God because they had no clue what they were talking about. And he said they acted and they thought naturally or within their own nature. And then he said their own nature was like brute beast. How would you like for somebody to call you a brute beast? You know what Jude is saying? Animals don't have a conscience. Animals don't have a moral compass. They, they act totally on instinct. Their natural instincts, whether it be survival, uh, or whatever the case may be, they they act on instinct. And he said that these men were so morally bankrupt, so corrupt, that they were totally slaves to their sinful nature. They were a slave to their sinful lust. And let me say this, uh, that doesn't always come out in the public. A lot of times it does, sometimes it doesn't. And I think even this year, I mean, I think Hillsong, Hillsong, has had to get rid of like half a dozen pastors because of all the sexual uh, misconduct that's been going on among their pastors. Why is it? Because they're brute beasts. That's why. Uh, They're preaching a false gospel. They're in it to take advantage of people. They're in it for the money. And it comes out. Um, How many scandals could we bring? What's so sad is when the scandals happen to the lost person, they just look at that and say, well... If that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. It wasn't Christianity, it was devils posing as Christians. That's what it was. Now, can true Christians fall? Yeah, they sure can. But there's going to be a repentant, broken attitude and such a sorrow for ever staining the name of Christ. Um, And so they're a slave to their lust. And then... Just like Jude gave three examples in our last text, he gives three examples to drive home his point in this text. Uh, The first example he gives is Cain. And Cain, if there was one phrase that I would give to describe Cain, it would be religious and yet rebellious. Religious and rebellious. And if you go back sometime and read the conversation that God had with Cain concerning his rejected offering, it's very telling to me. In fact, you don't have to go there, but I'm going to read it to you, just a few verses here. In Genesis 4, verses 3 through 7. But it says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought forth of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not, <clears throat> not well, sin lieth at the door. 
and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And so <clears throat> Abel gives God an offering, and he sacrifices a lamb. And God says, I'm well pleased with that. And Cain, being a farmer, brings forth the fruit of his hands, the fruit of the ground, the works of his hands. And God says, I'm not pleased with that. And then the Lord says something really telling. He says, you know, if you do well, you'll be accepted. They had had a conversation about this. That's why Abel knew to sacrifice a lamb. That's why in the Garden of Eden, uh, God covered Adam and Eve with the coats of skins of an animal. Because God is only pleased with the sacrifice of a lamb. Now ultimately all these animals were just a, a picture of the real lamb that would come, Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can appease the wrath of God is by repentance and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross where He took our sins in His body on the tree and God laid His wrath, God the Father laid His wrath upon Him for our sin. If we would just repent and trust in His work. Instead of trying to please God by our works, Cain didn't do that. Cain looked at God and said, well, this is, what I, this is who I am, this is what I brought, and it's just going to have to be good enough. Isn't that the world? That's what the world says, isn't it? This is who I am. Just accept me as I am. It's going to have to be good enough. And God says, oh, no. The work of my son is the only thing that's good enough. And so we see that today. Cain was religious and rebellious. And just like a lion, sin laid at the door for him and it consumed him. And just like a lion, Cain slayed his own brother, despising that which is good. Cain gets the honorable privilege of being the first murderer. Is that how you want to be remembered? He was the first murderer. Killed his own brother because he was jealous of him. Let me say that there are Cains all over this country preaching in pulpits and they're telling their people that they're good enough and God will accept them just the way they are and they're lying to them. But there's also a lot of canes sitting in the pews and in the chairs in churches. And if they ever had a pastor that would stand in the pulpit and preach the truth to them, the pastor might not walk out of there alive. They're not going to do it. Cain was religious and rebellious. But then the second illustration he gives is of Balaam. Now, I won't talk a lot about this. We dealt with this in our Revelation study the other night, but the doctrine of Balaam was basically using talents and so-called spiritual gifts to exploit people. Uh, Balaam was a so-called prophet of God, and he told the king of Balak uh, how that he could bring a curse upon Israel. If, they, if he would just get his people to marry with the people of Israel, God would have to judge them. He was using his gift to take advantage of others. We see that everywhere with these false teachers. I think, um, you know, Kenneth Copeland is worth over $750 million. You know that? Kenneth Copeland is worth over $750 million. He's got his own private line of jets. He's got at least six houses. Um, I mean, just insane. So many starving people in the world, and, and it's just unbelievable to me. And, but that's what they're after. It's the doctrine of Balaam. Um, Korah is another illustration he gives. Korah rebelled against the authority of Moses and he convinced 250 people to follow him. All these men, they had a problem with authority. They were religious, but they were rebellious. Uh, they all three tried to use God to their advantage. 
And, uh, but let me say this. <clears throat> Religious rebels go to the same hell that regular rebels do. And instead of just focusing on the outside, we better examine our heart before the Lord to make sure that we're right with God. What is your life like? Does your life have any fruit? Is there any reflection that you love God? These false teachers were a prisoner to their own lust. And the false gospel of these teachers in Jude is that God will celebrate us in our sin. When the truth is, uh, the truth of the gospel is that God will save us from our sin. That's what we have to understand. But then lastly, when it comes to these false teachers and when it comes to the spirit of the age, I want you to know that they're all primed for judgment. They're ripe for judgment. The fruit is falling off the vine. Uh, We're going to read the last few verses here. I'm going to pull out uh, some thoughts as we go, and then we'll end with a final application. Uh, Just a few more minutes. Look at verse 12. He said, These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, uh, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. These spots that he's talking about, it actually means a hidden rock or a hidden reef. And if you think about being on a boat or a ship and you're going through the harbor, there may be a submerged rock or a hidden reef that can tear a hole in your boat. You never knew it was there. You thought you were safe, but it can tear a hole uh, there in the bottom of the boat. The Feast of Charity, these were uh, feasts that the early church would have uh, about, you know, they would do it before they partook of the Lord's Supper. And so these, these false teachers destroyed their unity, destroyed their love and charity with all this false doctrine. They fed them with uh, themselves without fear. Uh, clouds without water. Man, if you're in a desert and you desperately need water and rain for your crops and you see clouds on the horizon and it seems so promising and they give you no water, they're worthless. They're absolutely worthless. They teased you. They made you think that they were going to do something. They didn't. Or what about a tree? You need something to eat and there's no fruit. There's nothing there to eat. Um, Jude took it even further. He said not only did they not have any fruit, they didn't have any root. If they had any root, there's at least a chance for some fruit. But if there's no root, there's no chance for fruit. They were beyond any kind of help. They were reprobate. And they couldn't feed or help anybody. What a shame. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The illustration he's giving there with the stars, uh, wandering stars is kind of like falling stars or or shooting stars would be a better example. You ever been outside at night and just seen beautiful stars? You ever seen a shooting star? And it's beautiful. But the problem that I always run into is if I'm seeing that star and somebody's next to me, I'm like, hey, hey, look, a shooting star, and by the time they look up, it's gone, right? That's the illustration he's giving. These false teachers, they may show up like a hurricane, they may speak to thousands or millions, they may wear a $30,000 suit, they may have a stage better than anything that Hollywood could produce, but you give them just a second, and they're going to be in God's oven. That's what he's saying. Um... Verse 14, and Enoch also, this is, some people tie this to the book of First Enoch, which is, again, it's just Jewish folklore, but they would have known what it was. The seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, 
The Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches with ungodly sinners have spoken against them. By the way, if you hadn't got this, Jude wants you to know they're ungodly. Now the word ungodly, it means without reverence for God. They have no reverence, no fear of God at all. All their ungodly deeds, with they've ungodly... I think Jude was getting a little hot under the collar, don't you? All in the spirit, of course. And um, these are murmurs and complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They take advantage of the unlearned and the simple and the ignorant. That is exactly what that says. But God is going to execute judgment. It didn't say upon some. It said all. And I'm going to tell you, the the last place in the world I would want to be, last place in the universe that I would want to be, is in the shoes of those false teachers when they stand before a holy God. It's going to be a terrifying, terrifying place to be. And here's here's the application that I want to close with. I know that we've talked about these uh, false teachers. We've talked about the things that they teach. But I want to talk about false hearers for a minute. Because, you know, uh, other than Pastor Stonehouse and Derek teaches Sunday school, um, nobody else is, you know, nobody's really standing behind a pulpit and preaching like I am. Uh, You know, the chances of you becoming a false teacher, I hope at least at this point, are very slim. But the opportunity and the chance that you could become a false hearer is much greater. And so, you know, you would think that these men that were spewing such garbage, such nonsense, that they wouldn't even get an audience. But unfortunately, in our day, the folks can't get enough of them. They can't get enough of them. This is exactly what uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 and 4. He said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They can't even handle it. It says, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That means they're going to be tickling the ears of the people, telling them what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen, you can't... You can't find out necessarily what a good church is uh, by counting noses. You can't say, well, well, God's just doing an awesome work over there. They've got thousands of people. It could be because they're heaping to themselves teachers that are tickling the ears of the people. In fact, I would say most of the time, that's exactly the case. And so we need to be aware of this, this temptation. And, and you know, sometimes we hear... Well, you know, God's going to judge America for what we're doing. And yes, He he will, but He's already judging America. I like what Paul Washer said. Listen to this. Paul Washer said that false teachers are God's judgment on people who don't want God. But in the name of religion, plan on giving everything that their carnal heart desires. That's why a Joel Osteen is raised up. Those people who sit under him are not not victims of him, He is the judgment of God upon them because they want exactly what He wants and it's not God. (laughs) Isn't that true? So many false teachers and false gospels. 
I've never heard Joel Osteen even utter the word repentance. He never wants to talk about sin. He never wants to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Why? Because that's not who he is. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and there's so many out there like him. Stephen Furtick, Creflo Dollar, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn. You go on down the list, you won't find them preaching the gospel. They're not going to, they're not going to do it. I'll tell you what they will say. Well, if you would just sow a seed of $1,000, God would surely bless you, and he'd give you $10,000 in return. That is not the gospel. That is God, that is turning God into some kind of cosmic genie where you can rub the lamp and He'll give you all your wishes. You give a thousand, He'll give you ten thousand. Listen, if you want something that'll just, it'll inform you, but it'll enrage you. Go look up Costy Hen online. That's Benny Hen's nephew. And he used to work with Benny for years. He traveled with the Crusades. He's, he's one of, he was one of the catchers, you know, and he would knock somebody out. Costy would catch him. God saved Costa Hinn, and he's a preacher of the gospel now. And he has actually gone to great lengths to expose the things they used to do. And I mean, to hear them talk about it, they used to stay in hotels in Dubai that cost $30,000 a night. The, 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 it was like a split level, and the railing of the staircase was pure gold. Unbelievable. And yet he's going to these third world countries and where they don't have a dime to their name and asking them for money, saying that God will bless them. You don't think there's a special hot corner in hell for somebody like that? False teachers. But yet that's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear the true gospel. And Jude is calling upon believers in his day to earnestly contend for the faith in opposition to these false teachers. We must do the same in the face of the spirit of this age. Well, how do we do that? Live truth. Speak truth. Confront lies. Get in the Bible. Give people scripture. Hand out gospel tracts. Listen, what if we were as vocal about Jesus Christ and his gospel as this lost and dying world is about their sexuality and who they're sleeping with? As if that's some kind of honorable thing. But yeah, they sure are proud about it. And yet we go into our little closet like we're ashamed to talk about Jesus. We're ashamed to speak truth. We're ashamed to stand up for the word of God. We're ashamed, we're ashamed, there's people that are scared to even utter the words that God created the male and female. That's sad, it's where we're at. But what if we were as vocal about Christ as the world is about their sin? We need to contend for the faith once delivered for the saints and not get caught up by the spirit of this age. Would you stand as she comes?